I greet you in the name of the Lord and welcome you on this Lord's Day uh, Sabbath as we continue our series, First Things, a study through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. A brief review. Uh, The last time that we were together on the Lord's Day, we considered, if you remember, the fall of man. And we considered the fall of man, or we did so by seeking to answer three questions concerning the fall of man. First question, what happened? Very simply, Adam and the woman sinned against the command of God. We allowed scripture to define sin for us. First John 3, 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is without law. Sin is lawlessness. We learned that sin is not somewhere out there. Do you remember that? Sin is not out there somewhere. It's not an entity that is crouching behind a bush or waiting around the corner to pounce on you. Sin is our disobedience. Our disobedience to the commands of God. It's it's our sin. Adam and the woman sinned against God. We asked, secondly, concerning the fall of man, how did this happen? And very simply, the serpent deceived the woman. And the woman led the man astray. That may have surprised you. It may have surprised you to... To see or to hear that scripture gives us insight concerning the fall of man that that it was Eve or the woman. She was deceived, not the man. The man was not deceived by the serpent, but rather the man was led astray by the woman. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said in 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived. You can't get any clearer than that. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. The serpent initiated conversation with the woman and she obliged to interact with the deceiver. Now, you maybe have have been wondering, why did she speak to the animal? Didn't she think it it was strange that there was an animal speaking to her? And brothers and sisters, that may have been part of the deception. This strange animal comes to the woman and she's intrigued. A talking serpent. And she is altogether at once entranced by his false speech, partly because he is speaking. And when he speaks, what does he speak of? He speaks of the tree or or, or knowledge that is found in the forbidden tree. Knowledge and wisdom that is found in this tree that has been restricted by God. And we can only speculate that the woman may have wondered. Where did this animal receive all of this information from? Maybe it's because he has partaken of the tree. And, and, and the, the, what he has received from this tree, he's now sharing with me. And if I eat of this tree, I will know what he knows. He is obviously something majestic. Because nowhere in all of the animal kingdom have I seen a talking animal. No less one who challenges the commands of God. Maybe he knows something that I don't know. And maybe that something is found in that tree. This is all speculation. But it is safe speculation, I believe. The woman was deceived. And then Adam was then led astray by the woman. And perhaps, again, speculation. 
Adam seen that the woman had eaten from this tree, his helper, his companion, she comes confessing that she has eaten from the tree. And what must have Adam noticed right away about the woman? She is not dead. What was the promise of God? If you ate from the tree, you will die. Not just die, you will surely die. In 2017, that is, you show enough, going to die. But they didn't know what death was. Did they? Could they have known what death was? Yes, they knew what death was. Be careful before you say yes or no. Adam and the woman had a knowledge of good and evil. How did they have a knowledge of good and evil? They were made in the image of God. And although they may have never personally experienced death, they understood death was not good. Amen. There are many things in your life that you know, not by experience, but by you knowing this is good and this is evil that you should and should not do and that have good and bad ramifications if you do so. How? You are made in the image of God. Adam and Eve, Adam and the woman understood that death was evil. Adam took the fruit offered by his wife. And they both ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. We concluded with the question, why? Why would this man and this woman who literally had the world at their feet, why would they rebel against God? Because of the false promise of the serpent. Because of the half truth of the serpent. If you eat this tree, you will be like God. The promise was being like God. That is what you will receive from eating from this tree. It was the first lure, the first snare of the serpent. Eat from the tree. You could be like God. You could be God. And that is the sin that mankind continues to make every single day. We want to be God. Young ones, teenagers, middle-aged, old, it does not matter. The sin affects every single age group, every single uh, ethnic demographic. We all want to be God. We all want to control our own destiny. We desire to be the masters of our own ship. We want autonomy. We want to be the boss. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. No one. It is only by grace that we reject autonomy and embrace sovereignty. Only by grace. Only the work of the Holy Spirit could cause a person who by nature wants to be autonomous to somehow, some way embrace and not only embrace but glorify God for his sovereignty. That he is the boss and you are not. That he is in control. And that you are not. Man wanted to be God. And what constituted Godhood? Knowing good and evil. Satan lured the woman into his trap, into his snare, by promising that she could attain a knowledge. Listen, that, that equaled and possibly even rivaled the knowledge of God. 
the man and the woman both ate. Thus, the fall of man. And because Adam stood as our federal head, our covenant head, our representative of all, all, all mankind, Paul tells us that when Adam fell, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Or because of one man's sin, we all have sinned. Because one man fell, we all fell. And now, this morning, with God's help, we will discuss the effects of man's sin and disobedience. The effects of man's sin and disobedience. Let us stand for the reading of God's holy inspired word. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made, made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the man said, the woman that you gave me. To be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The serpent, the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Four points this morning as we consider the effects of man's fall. Number one, Adam's failed responsibility. Adam's failed responsibility. Brothers and sisters, what was Adam's responsibility? What was his job? The Lord God created man in his image. The Lord God called him to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth and to have dominion over all the earth. Brothers and sisters, Adam was the earth's first king. It was his responsibility. He was crowned king by God himself. Only God was above Adam. The Lord God created or planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and then placed the man in the garden to what? To work it and to keep it. We have learned that this is temple language. We have learned that God's garden was actually God's temple and that he placed Adam in the garden temple to be a temple priest. Adam was to protect the garden temple, to keep it pure. Adam was the earth's per first priest, king, priest. Adam's responsibility was to expel any unclean thing from the garden and to expand the garden temple to the ends of the earth. Adam was to bring Eden to the world for the glory of God. 
Adam, had both a local and global commission concerning the garden and the world. Again, he was to take the garden temple to the ends of the world. And the Lord God gave Adam a command, which became a positive moral law. Positive because it was something not written on the hearts of men, but something that God added as a law, which therefore became moral, which is this. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, Genesis 2.16. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The Lord God made a covenant with Adam. A covenant of works. Do this. Eat of this and you shall die. Obey and you shall live. It was the responsibility of Adam to uphold God's law. It was the responsibility of Adam to proclaim God's law. Therefore, Adam was earth's first prophet. Adam was king, priest, and prophet. Adam was the first to receive God's law, God's word. Adam then became the first to teach God's word. The first to teach what God had said to the woman and beyond. Adam was to abstain from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if he would have obeyed, he would have earned the right to partake of the tree of life. And he would have gained, he would have gained the knowledge of good and evil. And how would he have done so? Through obedience. He would have known through obedience what it was to truly know God and to abstain from evil. Brothers and sisters, Adam was not created with an inability to fulfill his calling. He was created perfect, upright, perfectly able to fulfill his calling, as was the woman. All things are in place for Adam to be successful in this world. The world, again, was literally at Adam's feet, waiting for him to bring it to completion. The world, as far as creation was concerned, as far as God working the work of creation, was complete. The world now awaited Adam. To bring it to consummation. To bring all things to an end. Brothers and sisters, what did Adam do with the responsibility that was given to him? Tragically. And we must see this as a tragedy. A tragedy of the worst kind. Adam forfeited his responsibility. Adam became a derelict, if you will. In his responsibility, all of the pain, all of the death, all of the disorder that we find in this world, find their tap roots in the fall of man or the disobedience of Adam. Just as sin came into the world through one man, the Bible says, because of one man's disobedience, sin and death spread to all. What did Adam do? Adam, this perfect, upright made in the image of God, king, prophet, and priest of the earth, forfeited his responsibility and listened to the voice of his wife and not the voice of his creator. What did she say to him? You ever think about that? The Bible says that, that he listened to the voice of his wife. What did she tell him? All that we see in scriptures that Eve gave to him fruit, we don't necessarily see what she said. I wonder... As I lay in my bed last night, I thought, what did she say to this man? 
What so convinced this man from this woman that would cause him to say, okay, God, what you have said, I won't receive. What my wife has said, I will believe. What came from the lips of this woman? I'll tell you what did not come from the lips of this woman. What God had said. Whatever she said, it was not what God had said. And whatever she did say was what the serpent said. That for sure we do know. She did not say what God said. She was now saying what the serpent said. She was speaking as her new father spoke. Knowing good and well what God had said. Knowing good and well the direction that he should go. And with the ability to do so, to go into that direction, Adam rebelled against God and went his own way. Adam rebelled against God and went his own way. And we still today do the same. Today we still do the same. God commands. And we even will have the audacity to say, I don't think that's what he says. Here's what I think he says, and I'll go that way. We'll even have the audacity to make a new Bible, one called the Message Bible, that says things in the most heretical of ways. Don't read it. If you have it, burn it. Adam and the woman were created with a knowledge of good and evil. They knew what was right and they knew what was wrong via being created in the image of God. And they had the ability to obey. But when they fell, they had a new knowledge, a new knowledge of good and evil in a whole new way. They possessed knowledge of good and evil as transgressors against good and partakers in that which is evil. Transgressors against that which is good and partakers in that which is evil. The tree, the tree was not just a threat, but it was a means that Adam could use to protect the garden, to keep the garden, to guard the garden in its purity. It was Adam's responsibility to judge things according to what? The knowledge of good and evil. According to what God had commanded. So when the serpent came into the garden, what should Adam have done? As soon as the serpent came into the garden, he should have judged the serpent according to the knowledge of good and evil. Exercising the knowledge of good and evil. Expelling the serpent from the garden. But what did he do? He, like the woman, engaged the serpent. Entertained the serpent. He did not exercise dominion. He did not exercise authority. He did not keep the garden pure. He did not uphold God's word. He did not protect his wife. Adam utterly failed in his responsibility. Adam sinned against God. Secondly, conflict in the home. Interesting. Conflict in the home. That should be an interesting point. Conflict in the home. Conflict between Adam and the woman. How do we know that there was conflict? Notice this with me. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Very interesting. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, or the two shall become one flesh. And the man, listen to this last verse of the second chapter. And the man and his wife were both naked, 
and were unashamed. Pause for a moment. Why would Scripture go to the point of acknowledging and even pointing out that the man and the woman were naked? What's the point of acknowledging the nakedness of man and woman? Again, it is the last words of the second chapter of the book of Genesis. It is the last words, if you will, of the good and perfect creation of God. Creation is complete. Man and woman are in perfect unity. And they are naked and unashamed. The very next chapter introduces what? The temptation and ultimate fall of mankind. And, and how does Scripture first describe the reality of their sin? How does Scripture first bring out to us that they knew that they had done evil? Verse 7. After they ate, immediately after they ate, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Brothers and sisters, why? What did Adam and the woman Uh, What did Adam and the woman do when they realized that they were naked? They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Here's the other question. I know there's a lot of questions, but, but stay with me. Who are they hiding from? Who are they covering themselves up from? Who are they ashamed of that they would cover them themselves of their nakedness? They are covering themselves up from each other. They are hiding themselves from each other, not from God. Is God there? God is everywhere. Don't get like that. You know what I mean. Of course he's there. Stop. Pause. Adam and Eve sinned. And the first thing they do when they realize that their eyes are open, that they have sinned, Their disobedience causes them to hide themselves from themselves. This is our first indication that there was conflict. Now, now you may be saying, how does that make any sense? Because up until that point, there was no problem with nakedness. Up until that point, there was no problem with seeing each other as they were. Nakedness is not condemned in Scripture, in the marriage union. It is upheld. It is a beautiful thing in the union of marriage. Adam and Eve, Adam and the woman hiding themselves from themselves is our first indication that there is something now ruptured in the marriage. Now, you may say that doesn't make any sense. Something tragic has happened. Something devastating has happened. The man and the woman are now looking at each other with disdain. They're looking at each other with shame. They're looking at each other as sinners. They are now looking at each other with eyes of hate and not eyes of love. You may say, how do you know this? Because God tells us. Adam is looking at his wife as the one who did what? Led him astray. And because he is looking at her that way, she is now looking at him as what? The one who is not loving me the way that he used to. Why do you think that scripture later in Ephesians tells us to do what? Husbands do what? Love. Why do you think scripture later tells us wives do what? Submit or obey. What is it hearkening back to? Genesis. Woman, you did not submit and you did not obey. Husband, you did not love and protect. 
There was conflict because of this disobedience. You see that? He's not loving her as he once were. He's not caring for her, for her as he once did. How do we know this? Because what does God say? Or what does Adam say when God tells him, what did you do? You're going to tell me there's no conflict? You're going to tell me that there is no trouble in the marriage bed? What's the first thing that Adam says? First you, God, which we'll get to in a moment. Then the woman you gave me. There's conflict. It's her fault. And when there is arguments in marriage... Does your wife want to kiss you? And husband, do you want to kiss your wife? Is there intimacy when there is division and conflict in the marriage? No, there is not. There is hiding. There is covering. This is exactly what is happening here in the garden. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And he's not lying. He's not lying. The woman did give him the fruit. But what is Adam doing? He's throwing his wife in front of the judgment of God. He's tossing her, as it were, in front of the firing squad. To do what? To preserve his own life. To save his own life. To save his own skin. In the eyes of Adam, it's all her fault. In the eyes of Eve, where is my protector? Where is the one who was guarding me? Where is my husband? And they covered their nakedness. It is evidence that there was now conflict. And if you don't believe that there was conflict then, just look at what we have now in marriage. That's where it began. It didn't begin when God said, you are now cursed. It began when Adam stopped loving his wife and Eve stopped submitting and obeying her husband. And God said, here is the effects of that. You are cursed. And here's what it will look like in the rest of your marriages. This is the effect of sin. This is what sin does. Sin points to blame. Sin does not care. Sin will do anything and everything to avoid punishment. Even if that means letting your wife take the fall for you. For your own actions. Which leads us to our next point. Number three. The Lord God. Listen to this. In the cool of the day. You heard that before? And Adam heard, let's go to verse 8. And, the Lord, and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. If you were anything like me, now listen close. Because I believe this may be most of us. If you were anything like me. You have heard that this passage means that it was God's custom, listen close, to come down during the cool of the day to fellowship with the man and the woman. Have you heard that in your life? Can I see hands if that was you? That your custom is, it was custom, God's practice for, for God to come down during the cool part of the day to fellowship with Adam. That's the way I was raised to hear it. You may, you may have even heard, if you're like me, or you may, if you're like me, have heard things like God walks, God speaks, which this is all appropriate, but listen, God's hand. And we have conjured up in our minds that God walks, that he has fingers like us, that he has mouths 
Uh, he has a mouth, which would mean he has a tongue, which would mean he has vocal cords, which would mean on and on and on. And not take into, his, into account the anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic and anthropopathic uses of Scripture. Meaning this, that Scripture often speaks in ways that attributes human qualities to God, but does so in order that we might understand something that he is communicating to us about himself. And not that God actually walks. And not that God actually has fingers and hands and mouths and throats and all of that. But only speaking in these ways so that we better might better understand who God is. Does that make sense? Our confession says God is without body or parts. So then what's the point of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day? What does scripture mean when it says... They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. When we read the Bible, we must understand that the biblical writers are telling us what we need to know for a specific reason. God walking in the cool of the day. It's not just creative writing. You got that? Theologians say that this passage is difficult for us to, uh, to translate in the Hebrew, but we're going to focus on two words. And if you're taking notes, please take notes of this. We're going to focus on cool and day. Cool and day. The Hebrew word for uh, spirit is ruach. R-U-A-C-H. We see this in Genesis 1 where the ruach or spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, this word ruach, it could mean spirit or it could also mean wind or cool. Are you with me? It is the cool referred to here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. The cool is the ruach, the spirit. Are you with me? The word is then paired with yom. Y-O-M, yom. Or hayom, H-Yom, H-Y-O-M. Meaning what? Yom meaning day. You ever heard of uh, Yom Kippur? The day of atonement, yes? So if we put these words together, we have words that refer to spirit and words that refer to day. So then what do we conclude concerning cool of the day? Many, again, have thought that this refers to a time of the day when the wind blows to and fro, the wind of the day. But that wouldn't really make much sense as to why Adam and the woman went running in fear. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in in the time that the wind moves throughout the day? No. How does the, the scriptures use consistently the day? Let's go to some passages. I usually don't do this, but we're going to do this. Matthew chapter 10. Let's Now we're focusing on the word day or the day. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 15. Listen close. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of what? Of what? Judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 22. One page over. I did this for your benefit. But I tell you that it will be more bearable on the 
day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Matthew 12, 36, conveniently. I tell you, on the what? The day of what? Judgment. People will give an account for every careless word they speak. Acts, chapter 17. Acts will be after the book of John. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Last one, brothers. And sisters, Romans, next, next book over, chapter 2 and verse 16. And we'll, verse, we'll actually begin in verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus I could give you 21 more verses in Old and New Testament. But from what you have heard so far, what is the consistent meaning when day is referred to in the scriptures? Judgment. The day is almost always used in referencing the judgment of God upon the sins of man. One last example. And it is good for our Lord's Day Sabbath series, Hebrews 10, 25, commands that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is that day? The day of judgment that will come from God upon the sons of disobedience. Now go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When Adam and the woman hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, it is not God going for a stroll. It's not God. Uh, my wife has been watching the Andy, uh, what's Andy Griffin? Andy Griffin show. It's not God whistling the Andy Griffin show throughout the, the garden until he meets Adam at the usual meeting place. But rather, what they hear is the Spirit of God. Coming in the day of judgment to judge them for their sins. It's not God meeting Adam as he usually does. It's God by his spirit manifesting himself as he does when he does come. Manifesting himself by his spirit to judge the sins of man. Amen. Think about Mount Sinai. The spirit descends with a cloud, thunder and lightning. Think about the temple. God manifests himself by his spirit. The Lord God manifests himself by the spirit and he comes down to judge Adam and the woman for their disobedience. And what do the man and woman do? What would anybody do? Hide. Run for your life. They were afraid and they had every reason to be afraid. And that kind of reading is the only kind of reading that makes verse eight make sense. They are running from the judgment of God. They were not only ashamed of each other of what they have done. They are also hiding from God because they know they have disobeyed. 
they were guilty. No place to run. No place to hide. Brothers and sisters, those who have not repented of their, of their sins, those who have not trusted in Christ alone, that will be the day of judgment for those who reject Christ. For those who say, I want my own life. I will be autonomous. I will do what I will do. There will be no place to run. No place to hide. The trees will not hide you. He is the one who sees all, who knows all. You will be like a, a murderer who has blood on their hands and the blood won't come off. We will be guilty before God if we do not throw ourselves at the foot of the cross at the only one who can save us from our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. Third and finally, our, our fourth and finally, our, our fourth point is the game that men and women have been playing since the very beginning of time. The only sad thing about this fourth point is that it's not fun and it's not a game, but we play it all the time. The blame game. Our fourth point, the blame game. Verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man hid and wife hid themselves from hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They have covered themselves. They are attempting to hide from the one who sees all. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Judgment has come. The Lord God manifested himself by his spirit, came to the man, and he comes to the man with gracious words. Did God know what Adam had done? Of course, God knows and sees all. But did he ask him? First, where are you? Where are you? What have you done? They are gracious words from God. He has come to judge. But he's also come to save. He graciously gives the man not one, but three opportunities to confess his sins, to take responsibility for his actions. And he asks a question that he already knows the answer to. Where are you? Brothers and sisters, let us not delay in confessing our sins to God. Let us not hide our sins from God who sees all. It is a foolish thing to do. I heard the sound of you in the garden, Adam says, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam knows that judgment has come. He knows that he had sinned against the command of God and he has every right to be afraid but notice what he, he points to first. Not his sin. His nakedness. Once again, nakedness all of this time has not been a problem. And now all of a sudden it's something to be ashamed of. And, and who is the one who has made Adam naked? God. God is the one who has made Adam naked. God created man. Adam is already beginning to point the finger toward everyone but himself. And the first person he points his finger toward is God. I hid because I was naked. You made me this way. You are the reason why I'm ashamed. The Lord God continues to press the man. And God could have struck him down at any moment. And every, every right to do so. But what does he do? 
He responds graciously. Who told you you were naked, Adam? I would like to think of God in the most gentle of ways, speaking to his first man, the apex of his creation. Who told you that? Adam, confess. And then God draws it out of him. No more playing games. No more skirting the issues. Your nakedness is not the issue. You are bare. I made you that way. Nothing wrong with that. Unless you have done something shameful. Have you disobeyed? Have you done what you have been forbidden to do? Because, Adam, your nakedness is not the issue. Your sin is the issue. Confess it, Adam. Confess it. What is the man's response? Does he confess? Kind of. But not really. The woman you gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit and I ate. Who made you naked? God. Who gave you the woman? God. Adam admits it's crime, but it's, it's everyone else's fault. It's God's fault. It's the woman's fault. It's everyone's fault, but Adam's fault. Are you like that? Are you impossible to pin down? Do you blame everyone for your sins, even God? Adam first pointed his finger at God. Brothers and sisters, we are haters of God. By nature. And Romans 3 affirms this. This is who we are by nature. Adam is displaying the roots of our depravity passed on from generation to generation. We blame God for making us the way that we are. Our looks, our circumstances, our bad fortune, our unfulfilled dreams. We point all of our fingers back to God and say, it's your fault. But who really is the one to blame? We are. And some of us will sit under the preached word of God. And even while we are hearing God's word, give it no mind. And we'll once again do the same thing that our first parents did, refuse to acknowledge our sin. We have made our own beds. We have made our own beds. And it is only by the grace of God that we still breathe today and are given even now, even now as God's word is going forth, even now, the opportunity to turn from our sin and repent. And even now, some of us still will not. What does the woman say? The serpent deceived me. It was the serpent's fault. I ate, but it was the serpent's fault. What is he doing? Husbands, you are either failing to lead or you are leading in failure. She follows her husband's failure to lead. And he is leading her into failure. She tells the truth, but kind of. It's also not her fault. The man and the woman are, are they're being cunning now. They, they, they're being crafty now. The man and the woman are behaving more like Satan, the father of lies, than God, the father of creation. At that moment, they became children of the devil. Would they be redeemed? Yes, we believe so. 
but they had fallen into the depths of depravity. And they now, for the first time, needed a Savior. Up until that point, no need for grace, no need for a Savior. But now they were just as dependent upon the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, death, and resurrection as you and I are. They were in need of being redeemed. God, the judge, brings down his gavel. Case is closed. They have admitted their guilt. And now punishment is on the way. This trial was not for God, though. It was for man. It was for the sake of man to see that they could no longer make sense of the truth because they had already begun to suppress the truth. Brothers and sisters, as we close this morning, where are you? Same question that God asked to his first man, where are you? The question is being posed to you this morning, where are you? Are you being faithful with the responsibilities that you've been entrusted to by God? Are you being faithful in your calling as priest as in the home? Are you guarding your wife and your family from anything that could potentially harm them? Is there conflict in relationships in the church or in your home? If you have offended another brother or sister, will you repent? If you have been offended, will you forgive? Brothers and sisters, do you dread the day? The day of judgment. Will you go before God in your own righteousness? Will you be your own advocate? Or do you have an advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you admit your sins, but avoid the blame and their guilt? Again, are you impossible to pin down? Even when the sin is right in front of you, do you still blame others? There are those who are forgiven and they confess their sins. And there are those who are not and they will hide their sins. Depends on who's your daddy. Is your father the devil? I can remember my dad quoting the verse so many times. John 644. You are of your father, he used to say, like that, the devil. And in prison, for some reason, they love hearing that. Come on, say that. As they're looking to the person who they think is the, is, uh, the, the, child's, uh, the, the devil's child. But who do you resemble more? What family resemblance do you have? That of Christ or of the devil. If you want God to be your father. This morning you can be adopted. As his son. As his daughter. If you trust in Christ alone. For your salvation. If you trust that there is nothing in and of yourselves. That you can do to save yourselves. But that salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Then understand and believe that God is a generous father. Who loves to give. To his children. Those who come to him through Christ. And what does he give? He gives you peace. That you are no longer in opposition against him, but that you are now in perfect unity with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So where are you this morning?
I encourage you as we begin to partake of the Lord's Supper. That you ask the Lord to examine your heart. And that if you are a believer this morning, that you praise God that you are in him and not no longer in Adam. And that as we partake of the Lord's Supper. That you remember that Christ has redeemed you from the curse. Let us stand.